when we were praying this morning, Shirley had a word about the, the word that Steve was going to bring. And it was a word about truth, the truth of God. And you know those verses that say, the truth, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And it also says in the scripture that we are a people in whom truth abides. The truth is with us and in us because we are God's people. And so we want to open our ears and our hearts, don't we, to the power of the truth this morning through all that Steve shares. So let's read 1 Peter 4 and from verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but he is to glorify God in his name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first... What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Amen. Let's pray for Steve. Lord Jesus, thank you for Steve. Thank you for who he is in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your spirit that lives within him. And I pray now, Lord, that as he shares the word you've given him with us, that we'd have open hearts to receive and we'd be ready to obey, Lord. And I pray you bless him and anoint him as he talks now in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Cheery passage, isn't it? Cheery stuff. But it's important stuff. It's important that we think about what it means to suffer. I, I thought I'd find out some advice to give you as we begin on how to handle difficult situations. So I had a quick look on the internet for some advice. Always a good thing to do. Always something to do. Um, so the particular advice I got was this. In a crisis, the person who smiles in a crisis has found somebody else to blame. (laughs) Second piece of advice, if at first you don't succeed, redefine success. (laughs) And then the third piece of advice, if you can stay calm while all around you is in chaos, then you probably haven't understood the situation. Okay, so there's there's three pieces of advice on on what to do in in times of trouble and in times of difficulty. 
Maybe it's better to look into the Bible and see what is being said here to give us some advice about what to do in difficult times and when we're struggling. Peter is coming to the end of his letter. And the advice is now getting a little bit more general. It's been quite specific throughout the last few chapters about this situation, this situation, this situation. He now seems to be writing in more general terms for a couple of things that he says here and what we'll be looking at uh, next couple of weeks. Looking in particular at what it is to be Christians who suffer. This is a letter that seems to be written to a collection of churches, to multiple different churches in an area. And there hasn't really been much suggestion that there's active persecution going on in all of the churches, but it's quite possible that some of them had active persecution and active pressure against them, and suffering that were coming on the Christians in those churches. And these words would be very, very significant for those Christians in the churches who are suffering persecution and suffering oppression. And he writes to them to tell them how to handle oppression and that difficulty. Not encouraging them to put a gloss on it and to, to view things positively. You know, the person who's suffering with insomnia, they say, um, I'm suffering with insomnia, but the good news is there's only two more sleeps till Christmas. You know, something like that. No, he's not just encouraging us to put a positive spin on something. He's encouraging us to think more deeply about it, about the significance of suffering in the life of a Christian. So there are a few things that he says. Firstly, about suffering taking us by surprise. Suffering comes in all kinds of different forms. I think just looking out on the room here, I know that most of us, all of us, have been into suffering in some place or another. We know what suffering is like. We know what suffering means. Although it can often take us by surprise, we think we know what suffering is like and then a new kind of suffering comes upon us and we think, I don't really know what suffering is like because this is quite different to anything I've had before. But for some of us, it's ongoing health problems. If we're not getting better, and we're suffering. We're suffering physical pain. We're suffering physical disability. We're suffering physical limitation on what we do. We're not able to do what we were able to do. We're not able to do what we want to do. Or when we're doing it, it is really difficult. Some of us are suffering the torture of mental suffering. We just won't let us go. Pulling us down. Holding us back. Giving us mental pain in everything we're trying to do. Some of us, it's the suffering of loneliness. Some of us, it's the suffering of a marriage that isn't working. Some of us, it's the suffering because we aren't working and we want something to occupy our days with and something to put ourselves into, to feel fruitful and to be helpful. And for some of us, it's our job is not satisfying and our job is painful and difficult. For some of us, it's words from the past which descend upon us and scar us and won't leave us alone and keep pushing on a sore point. You are such a... You always... You did... It's you because whenever this situation happens, you always... These words that people speak over us and that define us, make us suffer. For some of us, we're living with the consequences of decisions that we have made. For some of us, we're suffering because we're believers in Jesus Christ. And whenever we put our head above the parapet, somebody shoots an arrow at us. 
And whenever we say that we're a Christian, it gets harder and harder to do it. Those things may seem trivial sometimes, saying I'm a Christian and I'm suffering for being a Christian. I remember gathering together with others in in church a, a little while back with a member of our congregation who was with us for a while and people were talking about how they were suffering for their faith in work and and one particular new member among us said, well, actually, I've been physically persecuted and imprisoned for my faith. So for some of us, that involves being imprisoned. But for other of us, it does involve difficult relationships at work and being ridiculed and being name-called and all sorts of things that happen. Suffering comes upon us. Sometimes we expect it. Sometimes we know it's coming. Sometimes you can predict it and see, this is about to be a difficult season, and I'm walking into something that's going to be difficult. Sometimes it comes completely out of the blue, falling over and breaking a leg, losing your job suddenly at the last second. You had no idea that was coming. Suffering can descend upon us in different ways. Sometimes it passes quickly, only lasts a matter of a day or so. Phone call to somebody and answer prayer, sorts it all out and hallelujah. And sometimes it stays for a long time. And for some of us, know that unless something gives, the rest of our life on earth is living with something that is difficult and causes us sometimes God's word to us is I will heal you sometimes God's word to us is I will get you out of this suffering sometimes God's word to us is the word that he gave the apostle Paul my grace is sufficient for you so suffering can be upon us in all kinds of different ways and in all kinds of different situations and there's all sorts of different reasons for suffering too sometimes we suffer because of our own personal fault Everybody could see the suffering coming. Everybody knew what was about to happen and we had no idea. We were just carrying on and suddenly the suffering comes. Thinking of Boris Johnson, maybe. Who may say he suffered a lot this last week. Sometimes it comes from consequences of the things that we do. Treating people badly. It comes back upon us. Playing chicken with cars in the road, if anybody has to do that. That can end in suffering. Sometimes it happens because of personal sin. Money, sex, power, things that we grab hold of and things that we push towards, things that we prioritise, decisions that we make. Sometimes it just happens because because we live in London, because we live in this world, because we live in the 21st century, because we live in this planet that humanity has had such a lot to do with and humanity has caused such pain within We live because we're in a planet where people decide that they're going to have wars like the war in Ukraine and that spreads suffering all around to so many people. We live in a world full of fallen creatures where there is destruction, where there is pain all around, where disease and death are part of normal, everyday life and where ambition and pride and anger and all sorts of things drive people's motivation in what they will do. So suffering is... A series of yous, I think. Suffering is unwelcome. I don't think anybody here wants it. It's not something that we embrace. Anybody here enjoy... Anybody here had COVID? Leave your hand up if you enjoyed the experience. It's not something I think most of us welcome. I can't see many of us here going, I'm going to do a lateral flow test. Hope it comes up positive, you know. We don't welcome suffering coming upon us. Well, maybe if we didn't want to go to a particular work meeting the next day, but no, I don't think we really mean that. 
None of us welcome suffering coming upon us, and it's usually not looked for. It's not something we chase and run after saying, oh, give me a bit of that. I want a bit of what you've got. That's not how we tend to respond to it. It's uninspiring. It's inspiring to watch somebody who's resilient in the face of suffering. It's inspiring to watch someone whose faith continues despite overwhelming odds. It's inspiring to watch somebody and to look at somebody who's able to cope and press through despite huge suffering. But suffering itself isn't inspiring anybody. It doesn't inspire me. It's nothing to sing about. Nothing to make me feel better. Suffering's unkind. It doesn't do anything for my good. Suffering doesn't make me better. God can use it to make me better. But suffering itself is not a good thing. It's not got my best interest at heart and it's thoroughly unhelpful. It doesn't seem to bless us in any way. So, I think for most of us, we're conditioned to reject suffering and to want nothing to do with it. That's where we're at. We, we live in a place, quite rightly, yearning for the world as it used to be in Eden. For that perfect place of no suffering. God dwelling with humanity, walking with humanity, humanity having dominion over the world and working with it rightly. Even work wasn't hard in those days as in the same way. Even work didn't cause toil and suffering. Longing for that place because surely that's what the world is supposed to be like, isn't it? Because that's the way that God made it before the fall. And we yearn to be in that world with no suffering at all. Quite rightly. I'm not saying that's wrong, quite rightly. And we also yearn for the other end of history. When we read Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22 about the new Jerusalem and this glorious place where we will all be dwelling with God among us and no suffering and no death and no disease and nothing of horribleness around us at all. Even the streets will be shiny and bright and beautiful and glorious place to be, full of the sound of singing and of glory and of praise. We yearn for that too and here we are stuck in the middle. And it's right that we do that. And a lot of what we do as Christians is we lay hold of that future in Jesus Christ and pray it into the present so little pockets of that heavenly become present on earth around us. Little pockets of that heaven. When we pray for somebody and they receive healing, that's a little bit of the future coming in and invading the present and changing it and producing that little bubble of the future around us. It's a glorious thing to see and more of it. I'm not saying we don't do that. Of course we do. Of course we reject suffering. Of course we push against suffering. Of course we pray against it. Of course we pray that it will go. We pray that God will bring healing and a little bit of the future brought into the present. Amen? And we know that God can deal with suffering. God can deal with all kinds of suffering. The good news is, and the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel is, God can even deal with suffering that is our own fault. You might think it's fair for God to deal with other people's fault suffering. If you are suffering unjustly because something happened that wasn't your fault, then God will deal with that. But God will also deal with something that is your own stupid fault. That is my own stupid fault. I'm here because I've been really stupid, I've been really sinful, I've done something wrong, but God can still help me. God can still resolve it. God can still bring us through it. Somebody once said, I found this a very helpful analogy. It's a bit like pulling into a service station on a motorway. You're not actually travelling at that particular moment while you're suffering and in that degree of pain. 
But when God's dealt with it for you, you're out a little bit further along the road than you were when you pulled in. And you've moved on. And God does something good. And maybe for some of us this morning, because this is not really what I want to talk about primarily, but, so let's hold on to this thought for a moment. For some of us here who know we are suffering because there is something that is our fault, God wants to deal with that. And as we break bread and drink the wine this morning, let's ask the Lord to enter in and to deal with those things. The physicality of the Lord entering into us. Let's eat him into us and drink him into us to bring that healing and that, that forgiveness and that setting free of something that is our own fault. And ask him to do that that set us free of that personal pain, that guilt that we carry, that pain that we carry. That word that goes round our head, it's my own fault, and of course I need to suffer. I should expect this suffer, and I carry this suffering to pay for what I've done, to partly atone for it myself. And God is saying, no, I'll deal with that. I'll deal with that issue of sin, and I'll set you free, because you don't have to carry that. But that's not what I want to focus on this morning, so I'll move on from that. But do remember that, and do pray into it this morning. So we expect God to bring healing in situations. We look to God. Sometimes we have theologies of being overcomers. In every situation we should be able to overcome and everything will be transformed and God will bring us freedom from suffering. So the normal Christian life should be a life free from suffering. And it isn't. Heaven will be a place when there's no suffering. But the world we live in now has suffering and we long to avoid it like in the time of COVID, as an example of it. Nobody wants to live in the way that COVID was. We want to come back to normal, even if it's some variant of new normal, as we call it. But we long to come back to normal because we don't want the suffering. We want to move beyond it. And that's all true, and that's all good, but... Does that mean that we don't expect suffering? No. The first verse we read out this morning... Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place to test you. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised about it. Suffering should not surprise us. Given that we long to live in a place where suffering is overthrown, that God is able to overthrow suffering and able to help us and bring us through, we should still not be surprised at suffering descending upon us and at walking into a fiery ordeal. It's not surprising. That doesn't mean it's God's intention. It doesn't mean that God wills suffering upon us. It doesn't mean that God is saying, I'm going to give you all a little bit of suffering from time to time to give you some temptation, to give you some trial. When's Andy's week? When's Andy's time? Bring the calendar. Those dates there work for me. I hope they work for Andy. This will be fun. That's not what God is like. But suffering does come upon us. And I think the big place that we don't expect it is the big place that Peter was talking about. He was talking about a particular kind of suffering. He was talking about the suffering, and I mentioned at the beginning, the suffering that comes because of our faith. Because we are believers in Jesus Christ. There inevitably will be suffering. Don't be surprised by it, he says. Do not be surprised that you will suffer because you're a Christian. That if you weren't a Christian, you would not suffer in this way. But because you've chosen to be a Christian, you've chosen to suffer. Why? Well, the world that they lived in was a world that was aggressively anti-Christian. 
pockets of it were aggressively anti-Christian. Parts of it just were anti-Christian. Parts of it were not set up to thrive well as a Christian. But pockets, and this church that Peter is writing to was a pocket that was in an aggressively anti-Christian environment. The empire in which they lived, the Roman Empire, was an oppressive empire. We don't need to go into too much detail about it, but it was the sort of place where you were expected to... Well, we all know what empires are like, don't we? Every empire that's ever existed thinks it's the best thing in the world for absolutely everybody and talks language about how we brought blessings to the whole of the world that are under us. And everybody else that's under that empire turns around and goes, no, it's not really that pleasant at all. It's oppressive. Uh, and And it's miserable for us living under its power. And so for these people, they were oppressed by a foreign nation that was governing them, that was taxing them, that was seeking money from them all over the place. They were pushed to worship things that they didn't want to worship, worship beings that they didn't want to worship, and if you weren't involved in that worship, you would be persecuted. If you didn't go along to the temple and engage in the worship that was a part of that temple, then you were socially ostracized. You lost friendship groups. People didn't trade with you. People didn't do business with you. Your business suffered. Whatever job that you did, Whatever service you offered somebody, you'd knock on their door, we're not going to have anything to do with you. You're not part of the temple. I'm going to use that particular cleaner over there. I'm going to use that particular builder over there. I'm going to use that particular butcher over there. I'm not going to use you. You're not part of it. So there was social ostracizing and there was also active persecution. I'm going to put you in prison. I'm going to confiscate your property because you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you don't do the things that we do. And there was active persecution. Peter says, don't be surprised at it. And yet... I think for us, the world that we have lived in and the world that our parents have lived in and our grandparents and for generations going back has been a world that has been shaped by Jesus Christ and by the Christian faith. It's been a world where the values and the ethics and the morality have arisen out of the things that Jesus taught. So when, as a Christian, you stand up and say, this is the way that we're supposed to be and this is what the Bible says, even if people didn't like the sound of it or didn't want to do it, they would still acknowledge that, yes, that is the right way to behave. That is the right way to act. That is the right thing to do. And it's been like that for centuries in the West. I don't need to tell you this, do I? Not now. Things are moving. The ground is shifting. And people no longer think of Christianity and no longer think of the Bible, no longer think of what the Lord Jesus Christ says as of being things that are a good foundation for ethics and the good foundation for the way that we should behave. They are no longer the way that people take things into account so that we stand up and say, this is what the Bible says. And people go, really? You want to live your life according to that? I'm not living my life according to that. I'm living my life according to whatever ethical code they want to trot out as the right ethical code to live according to. So we are increasingly living in a world where we should expect suffering if we make it clear that we're a follower of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And it's something that we're not expecting, I think, for most of us. Those of us that have been around long enough to know that being a Christian is something that people would look at you and say, I don't really believe, but I admire you for your faith, and I think it's a good thing. And the world has shifted to, really, you bigoted so-and-so. It's how it shifted. Where do we take our values from? Do we take our values from what Jesus teaches in Scripture, from what the church has always taught from Scripture, or do we take our values from what the world says and from how culture is? That's a tension point that all of us walk in. And it puts us on a collision course. 
So let's not be surprised if suffering comes our way because of our faith. You can't be an uncompromising Christian and be hidden. Hidden away from this kind of persecution. I think we're increasingly walking to a place when if everyone speaks well of you, then maybe you haven't made it clear where we are in our faith. I think that's perhaps where we're heading towards. That if everybody speaks well of us, it may be we're in a situation where we haven't actually been quite clear what it is that we think. And I'm not speaking revolution here, I'm just speaking the truth about where that things are and how things come towards us. So the second thing to say, not just that suffering is inevitability for us, is that in suffering we're in good company. First thing to remember is Jesus suffered. Sin and suffering didn't just happen to him. They were attracted to him. They aimed at him. They were heat-seeking missiles that had locked onto him and targeted to him and zoomed in upon him because of who he is and what he is. Because as God comes and dwells in this world, a world in rejection against God is going to come and reject Jesus Christ as God incarnate walking amongst us because it will detect and see this goodness that is there and reject it and push against it. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. And he went to death in the most horrific way. It's not Easter, so we won't go in for a long Easter sermon about the way that Jesus died. I think we all know how he died. But the world can reject goodness, the world can reject love, the world can reject the mercy that Jesus brings. And when Jesus spoke, many, many, many embraced his message and were set free. But there were those too that refused to embrace it. Interestingly, we're often shown that the most violent oppression against him were people with power. And people with power in the world and people who had an ability to do things who didn't want things to change. And they came against him. But power came against him Uh, And people came against him and they crucified him. Jesus didn't fit their idea for what the world should be like. And if we are a follower of Jesus, I don't think we can expect anything any different. And as we speak out for Jesus. Now, of course, we might actually say, I'm suffering for the gospel. And this suffering is purely down to the fact that when we were sharing the gospel with somebody, we were obnoxious pig as we did it. We were insensitive, we were unkind. We kept somebody standing there as we knocked on the door and they say, look, my child's crying and the dinner's burning and we say, but I'm going to tell you about Jesus and we just keep on going at them. You know, it's, there are ways of doing things and there are ways of doing things. I've, uh, light came on to me once when I was seeing somebody sharing on the streets and the person was, I was so thankful that the person was sharing on the street but when I saw that the way that the person was speaking was a monologue from the person to the other person, The second person wasn't listening at all and the Christian was just speaking at that person. I saw that the witnessing there was predominantly about this person feeling better about sharing rather than caring how the other person would receive it and and where they were at. There wasn't a dialogue, there wasn't a listening to where the other person is at and seeking to share Jesus with them with love and compassion. And I'm not surprised that the person listening didn't have ill will towards the Christian that was sharing purely on the basis of the way that they were doing things. It's important that we share our faith. It's important that we do it and that we're out there, but we do it in love. And as the church is a collection of people who speak truth to power, who speak prophetically into the world and say to the world, this is the way that it is. This is the way that God sees things. This is what we should not be acting in this way. This is not a right way to be. This is not a right way to act. 
And there are members within the church. There are members within this congregation. There are members within other congregations. There are members within other churches and other denominations that are actively speaking into government, even as we sit here, who are actively speaking into the ways that things are being done on a local level, who are actively speaking into places of power in the media. Let's pray for those people, because that's an important role. But as they do that, pressure comes against them. Because pressure came against Jesus. But there is, verse 13, something that goes with that. Don't be surprised at the fire ideal that has taken place to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings. It's a joyful thing. It's a joyful thing in the future. Because if, think of it this way, if you're suffering for Jesus Christ, then you're suffering because you've been identified as somebody that walks with him. And Jesus will be revealed in the future. Jesus will be revealed in the future as the one who is right uh, and as the one who is good and as the one that brings all blessing. And if we have been suffering because we've been identified as being a follower of him, then we are a follower of him. And it's clear that we're a follower of him. We will have the same thing as happens to Jesus in the future. He will honour us. And that joy will be poured out upon us. That is a joyful thing in the future. And in the present it means that we can look and say... As Jesus suffered, I am suffering because of my stance for Jesus. That should give me joy. Because we know who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do in the future. Amen? So it's a good thing. Second thing, though. Suffering brings us blessing. It doesn't just build our character. It can. It's not that it just gives us a godly, stiff upper lip Britishness, which it can, depending on how we approach it. The significant thing, I think, is in verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. There's something special about it in times of suffering, that the spirit of God rests upon us. He rests upon us and brings his blessing to us, and he blesses us. Think of Paul in prison in Acts chapter 16 as he was in prison worshipping the Lord. There was something of the Spirit that had fallen upon him and he just wanted to worship and be in a place of contentment and of joy and expression of worship to his God. Why? Because the Spirit of God had settled upon him. Think of the number of stories that we could tell. Even people in this room, I think, can tell these stories. Of times when we have been under pressure And the Spirit of God has rested upon us and given the words to speak in a situation. Really wise words. Wise words that enable us to communicate the gospel, but also wise words that enable us to unlock the situation for good. And the Spirit rests upon us in those places. I think sometimes in suffering, who am I kidding? Nearly always in suffering. I think we look and say, where's God in all this? Anybody ever done that? Honestly? You don't have to nod your head. Anybody here ever been in a place of suffering and just thought, where's God in all this? Really, honestly, I I know he's here, but kind of I don't, I'm not feeling it right now. I'm not feeling it. Isaiah chapter 11. Wonderful verses that talk about Jesus. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. It's interesting that the language here is the spirit shall rest upon him, the same language as Peter uses. And I think Peter is perhaps touching back to this verse in Isaiah. 
to say that as the Spirit rested upon Jesus, so the Spirit rests upon us as we are brothers and sisters with him in suffering. So listen to what the Spirit brings. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight should be in the fear of the Lord. Finally, in a place of suffering, it's being in a place where judgment begins. For the time has come, verse 17, for judgment to begin with the household of God. I think we often understand that in one particular way. I think what Peter is actually trying to do with it here is something slightly different. He's picking up on the Jewish idea that in the end of the world there will be judgment. Judgment will come upon all of humanity and those that will be judged first are God's people. God's people will be judged first. I think most of us have got this inherent guilt complex within us that we don't like the idea of judgment because it's, it's kind of like as a kid when you're called into the headmaster's study or the headmistress's study, you're kind of thinking, what have I done? You know, you know you're not going in there to have something good. You know you're going in there to have something said. It's, it's like when your parent calls you by your full name. You kind of know that you've done something and that you're in trouble. You know, it's that kind of thing, that guilt thing trips that we think when God comes in judgment, what's he going to say? I know that there are a whole list of things that I've done that he's going to pick me up on. And I'm fairly certain that that's the tip of the iceberg, that he knows that there are a few others that I hadn't even noticed. Help. And yet a Jewish understanding of judgment is not quite like that. It's saying, we are God's people. He loves us. He chose us. And when God comes to judge, he's going to look at us and go, you're my people. Be blessed. Enter into my, enter into my promised life. And judgment is for us because of Jesus Christ. And God will, yes, he's going to look at us and he's going to weigh us up, but he's for us. And judgment is a good thing for us. As God comes and judges us, as we are people who live to serve him, judgment is good. Judgment doesn't necessarily mean punish either. We quite obviously can judge things without punishing them. You know, think of, ba- think of Bake Off. The judges in there don't necessarily punish the cakes. They just weigh them up as to which one is the best. It's what we do. And it's, I don't know anybody else here has the same tendency as I do, but if I'm ever in a National Trust tea room or some other cafe and there are various slices of cake there, I weigh them up so that I can pick the one that I think has got the size that I want, yeah? You weigh them up, you judge them. <laughs> well, I suppose then you do go and destroy it, but it's, it's destroyed in a different way. But you weigh them up. Judging is about weighing things up and determining something. And judgment begins now for us. God is beginning the judgment at the end in a way of weighing us up. And sometimes within our suffering, he begins to weigh us up and looks at us in terms of how we are responding. So how do we respond in suffering? We respond in joy, as I said before, because we're walking where Jesus walked. We respond in the life of the Spirit because the Spirit is poured out upon us. And we respond, as Peter calls us to respond, in faithfulness. Therefore, let those suffering in accordance with God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator, verse 19, while continuing to do good. We trust ourselves to him. In this situation, there's nothing else we can trust on anyway. Let's just trust ourselves to him as the one that will carry us through and the one that will help us and lead us. Let's trust ourselves to him. Some people, when they think about this verse, talk about one particular verse 
in Luke's Gospel when Jesus is hanging upon the cross. In Luke's Gospel, the last words that Jesus offers are a quotation of a psalm, a different psalm to the ones that he quotes in Mark's Gospel. In Mark's Gospel, he quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? In Luke's Gospel, he quotes um, Psalm 31, verse 5. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Giving himself to the Lord and just saying, I trust you. This was a prayer that this psalm was a psalm that the rabbis used to say as they went to bed at night. As they went to bed, they used to say, into your hands I commit my spirit, expecting in the morning to pick their consciousness up again and to carry it. It's a faithful, anything could happen to me in the night, I'm asleep. I give myself to you. And calling upon us as we enter into a period of suffering, each of us in our lives, let's be those who entrust ourselves to God and as a mark of entrusting ourselves to God, seek to do good. Seek to bless others and live out the life that God has called us to live, trusting in him. We're going to break bread together. I think Debbie is going to lead us as we do that. And as we break the bread and drink the wine together, there were going to be different things, I think, for each of us to think about. For some of us, we're in a period of great suffering. We're in a period of great suffering that's not necessarily for our faith. It's maybe some of the things I was talking about at the beginning. Let's ask the Lord to come in and help us in that place of suffering. And God can overthrow that suffering and change that suffering. And let's be praying for God to do that. And let's take him into us for his strength and his sustaining and his help as we walk through this dark time. For those of us who know that it is our sinfulness upon us and our own stupidity that has got us into this place, let's ask the Lord for complete healing from that, to change us and to take, things, uh, to take that away and to bring life to us. And for those of us who are suffering for our faith, then let's take this in and take in upon ourselves as we eat this, this unity that we have with Jesus, that we are walking in suffering and he is with us as we do it. And remember his suffering that is far greater than ours as we eat the bread and as we drink the cup. Remember his suffering and that we walk with him and know his joy upon us and commit ourselves to him in faithfulness. Lord, I pray that as we walk this week and every week that you would walk with us and help us. Deliver us from evil, we pray. And may your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives, in each of our lives and in our communities and wherever we are. And would you strengthen us where things come against us because of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.